You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. You guys, I'm so excited about my new sponsor because these people are very near and dear to my heart. They've been one of my main clients, if not my main client for like over the past 10 years. I'm talking, of course, about Twisties and they're sponsoring my podcast now and I'm so thrilled. If you didn't know, Twisties is the ultimate site for lesbian and girl-girl scenes. It explores your deepest and sexiest fantasies. I've been producing for Twisties for years, like I said, and honestly, I can say it's some of the work I have been the most proud of and the most excited to share with the world. Twisties has been creating the hottest glamour porn for over 18 years with the top names in the industry, now exclusively streaming girl-girl content. Their scenes showcase the most recognizable models working with the best fresh faces, making waves in adult entertainment. Twisties Trade of the Months feature exclusive content and videos produced by me, highlighting the hottest girls of the moment, letting them show off what makes them so addicting. Treat of the Months have included Gina Valentina, Alina Lopez, Emily Willis, Desiree Dolce, Demi Sutra, and Twisty's current Treat of the Year, Molly Stewart. To unwrap the hottest treats and mouthwatering scenes, visit twisties.com or you can find them on Twitter at Twisties and on Instagram at Twisties Treats. Hi, I'm Holly Randall and welcome to my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. This is a show about sex, the adult industry, and the people in it. I'm a 21-year veteran of this fascinating little industry, and as the eldest child of the trailblazing erotic photographer Suze Randall, you could say I grew up in it. So forget everything you think you know about porn, because this show is going to change your mind. My guests are some of the biggest names in the industry, and we unabashedly reveal the real behind-the-scenes stories. The funny, the inspiring, the tragic, and the bizarre. Everyone has an opinion about sex work, but few people actually listen to the sex workers. So sit back and prepare yourself for a podcast, which is honest, raw, and unfiltered. I'm so excited about today's episode, and it was a long time coming because it took me over two years to convince my guest to finally come on the show. I guess he now decides that it is worth his time. And I say this with so much love in my heart because my guest today is Brad Armstrong and I adore him so much. But we have that kind of relationship where we can talk shit to each other and, um, you know, we still remain friends. So I actually met Brad on my very first porn set ever. He was the first quote unquote live penis that I ever saw. I was 20 years old. I was working for my mom and she was finally allowing me to like come on set and do some assisting. And she was shooting Brad Armstrong and Aslea and Tistia. Now here we are over 20 years later. Um, we're good friends. Um, I work with him. He's been in some of my wicked movies. Uh, he is, of course, they're like top director. Brad has won numerous, numerous awards for his Wicked movies. He's super talented. He not only is an incredible director, but he's actually an incredible, I guess not seamstress because he's not a girl's seam maker. So 
person. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, is that he makes costumes. And actually, his girlfriend, Jessica Drake, if you see like her stunning red carpet outfits that she wears to these award shows, a lot of times Brad has made them. So this guy is multi, multi-talented. He's also wonderfully honest. He's very much a straight shooter. He tells you exactly what he thinks. And that's a quality that I actually really love in people because you know where you stand with them. And he's actually one of my favorite people. And he truly has a great heart. And he's really, really kind to the people that he cares about. And for your interests, he's got so many crazy stories because he's been in this industry a long time and he's done so much work. And so I'm just really excited to have him here. He truly is a legend in his own right. And uh, it is an incredible honor to introduce you guys to Brad Armstrong on Holly Randall Unfiltered. Welcome, everybody, back to Holly Randall Unfiltered. I am so excited to have a very special person to me here in the studio. I'm not entirely sure that he's all that excited, but then again, you can never tell when Brad Armstrong is excited or not excited. So, Brad, tell us, how excited are you to be here today? Between your cleavage and your high heels that you're wearing (laughs) for me, Daddy's excited. I had to find some way to keep your attention. Yeah. So Good work. Thank you. Thank you. I did my best. So thank you so much for coming. I've been bugging Brad to come on this show for a long time. A long time. A long time. And he was always, always turned me down. You don't really do interviews, do you? I'm not, I'm not one that likes to hear myself talk that much. Really? Because you wouldn't know that from Twitter. Hey. I've toned my Twitter down in like, you like have. a big time you have. in the last two years. You for have. Sure. You just like to argue with people. I don't even anymore. Hardly ever. Hmm. You must not be not, might be following me that closely nowadays. I mean, to be fair, I guess that's true because I haven't seen yeah, a no, lot of arguments. Hardly any shit talking at all. What? Maybe the president, but that's about it. Well, or his it's hard not entourage. to do that. Why, um, what, what is, why have you turned over a new leaf? As you get older, you realize that very little matters. <laughs> <laughs> and arguing with strangers on Twitter yeah, is not one of the things that yeah. matter. I don't even argue with people I know anymore. It's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Fuck, who cares? <laughs> Shut up. So what did I actually change your mind about coming on the show? Was it just because well, I... Well, now you have some followers and shit. Oh, no. some followers. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I mean, that's I what hear, it was. I, it's like the last what six months or so you've been bragging about your your uh, all your people that are my views, YouTube numbers, your views. So I say, well, maybe it's worth thriving all the way fucking down here. Well, see, I had to brag it's about like it little, in order literally to get you here in, in the middle of like in downtown. What's this? China Koreatown. Koreatown. One of those. Maybe Let's, you're the one let, who lives far away because you do live like off the one eighteen. Yeah. That's kind of far. It's, it's tranquil. It is tranquil. It is not tranquil here. No. I mean, in not. your little abode right here, it's yeah. very nice. Yeah. The outside world is hovering around us with their. Outside world is hovering. Many diseases. <laughs> I saw a lot of masks down there in that street, man. <laughs> <laughs> they all had their, like, their <laughs> masks were everywhere. 
very Asian population where, where we're at right now. Are you scared about the coronavirus? What do you think about it? Or do you think it's like a big hype? Uh, plague. Just another plague coming down to ravage fucking humanity. They deserve it. <laughs> do you, what do you think about the state of the world? Like, do you think that That's we're a, headed towards an apocalypse mess. or? I mean, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go at any moment. <laughs> I'm good. I had, I had a good 55 year, 54 and a half years. So I'm like, I'm covered. So you're, so if you died tomorrow, if we like a tsunami came and wiped us all out tomorrow, you'd be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a good life. Can't complain. <laughs> so what? All I'm going to do from here on in is get older. That's true. Older, less attractive, less sex. You know, it's, it's, it, there's no upside here. Like if I, unless I win the lottery, it's like, it's on the way, I'm on the downslide, you know? <laughs> I really love the positive outlook that you have on life. It's in, so inspiring. Picture me as my Canadian brother Quasar, only without the humor. <laughs> oh my God. And the booze. <laughs> Maybe you just need more booze and then you'd be, yeah, you know. you'd be more humorous. You really don't need two quasars in this world. That's true. The world can only handle one. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. He's got it covered. He's handling it well. <laughs> he says that he's cut down to just drinking wine now. That must have been after New Year's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. You saw him on New Year's. I was partying with him on New Year's. Yeah. I heard that that whole party turned into like a bit of an orgy situation. And I tried my best. He made no, a quick no, exit. Nobody was biting at all. You tried to incite the orgy, orgy, and it didn't go anywhere. No, it fell flat. You that know, was, back in the day, orgies broke out at porn parties all the time, like on the regular. Really? But now nothing, man. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's between OnlyFans. Everybody wants to save their seed for content mm. and hooking, and everybody's got to save their pussy. You know, it's all that stuff. It's, a different world out there. Do you think it's also too because people, everybody has a camera on them, and so someone can film basically anything that you're doing, so it feels like there's no like privacy. Yeah, because just in case they become fucking politicians, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you've done six thousand scenes. No, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think the drunken New York New Year's orgy is going to be the breaker. <laughs> so. Brad, you have been in the industry a long time. How long now? Fucking long time. 30 years was my first movie. 1989. Years. Wow. And tell us about tell us about how you got into the industry. I was a cute little uh, stripper in Canada. Mm -hmm. And Playgirl Magazine had a Men of Canada special. Mm -hmm. So I got in that. They used a bunch of the dancers. Uh, and then uh, they shot me solo and did a calendar and all that. And then from there, uh, when the magazine came out, I met Erica Boyer, who was stripping in Toronto, who mm -hmm. was back in the day. On the, anybody of, of a certain age knows who Erica Boyer was, uh, one of the, the golden era porn stars. Mm -hmm. And she was just making a comeback. And I met her in Toronto, and I walked up to her and showed her my little Playgirl magazine layout. And I, I said, you were going to say something else. No, I, I, I showed her my penis later. <laughs> uh, so I, I, uh, I showed her my little layout and I said, hey, trying to get into business, do you think you can help me? And she looked me up and down and looked at my layout and then we fucked all that week. And then she brought <laughs> so me she down. she was testing you. She was checking me out. And then strangely enough, 
she was, like I said, she was just about to do a comeback and she uh, brought me down to visit your mom at her studio. And your mom was the first person to to shoot uh, me and Erica. She shot us like three days that week. Uh, Boy Girl for Playgirl Magazine, I think High Society and something else. Um, but yeah, your mom was was instrumental in my career. Hence the reason I love here. you so much. I know. You're only nice to me because of my mom. Hey, nepotism is awesome. <laughs> never, never stray away. So... Can you tell us about what your first shoots were like? Like, were you nervous? Did well, you have first, any struggle? The first one was a, an epic movie called Bowling Bimbos from Boston. <laughs> and it, awesome. it was the sequel sequel from Bowling Bimbos from Buffalo. It did so well, they're making a second one. Wow. So this is, 89 was before tests. Right. So literally, they flew me down, picked, had someone pick me up at the airport, drove me straight to the bowling alley that they had rented for the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm in front of Mike Horner, Randy Spears, Eric Price, uh, all these dudes who I'd seen movies of, and I'm going, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and so we're doing all the acting, and I didn't have much because they didn't know what I could do. So right. then we're in a six-person orgy. It's kind of makes sense, though, to throw you into an orgy because if you can't perform, you can kind goes, of hide It goes both ways, yeah. yeah. So A, a lot more stress because you're looking at – Two other dudes who are rocking away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that scene did not go that great. Like I struggled through it, but it was a tough one. But yeah, then you get kind of buried in the background and you're, you know, disappear. Uh, and then the next one was called Headlock, and that was a Tori Wells movie. And uh, it was a wrestling movie. They set up a wrestling ring in someone's backyard, and it was supposed to be like a big fundraiser wrestling thing. And I was Dan the Devastator. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That scene, I did good. It was just me and Erica in a tub. Um, and then the third was uh, something about something fantasies, and it was me, Erica, and Tammy Monroe back in the day. Okay. And those were my first three. And this is before Viagra. Oh, a decade before Viagra, maybe yeah. a decade and a half. So I think a lot of people don't realize what. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to shoot movies back before Viagra came along and what it's like now? Well, back then, like almost every movie was in a day. So you'd be shooting five scenes in a day plus dialogue. Right. A big movie, a huge movie was two days. Yeah. So literally, there was no time to fuck around. That's why back in the day, you only saw 10 guy performers Mm -hmm. because there was no time to wait or dink around and there was no Viagra to help. Um, So... It was, it was, it was make or break. And you basically had probably about three movies, whatever your in was, like mine was Erica, whatever your in was, you had about three movies to prove that you could do it or you're long gone. Mm. And so that's why, you know, back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, it was literally 10 questionably good looking uh, <laughs> uh, guys in the business, you know, and, uh, those who could act because every movie was a story mm-hmm. and because you only had Lonzo didn't exist you had then. one take two takes max to to do your lines you know because it, it was a day mm-hmm. so one day wonders were that's that was what it was it's so interesting because i've heard this from so many people and for some reason i had this idea and i think a lot of other people did too that like there was a lot more money in porn back then and so mm-hmm. movies were shot over a longer period of time. That was that was when you're kicking into the 70s when okay. they were making it. You know, everything was shot on film, and mm-hmm. and it was basically out of work mainstream people that 
cat into porn. By right. by by the nineties, it had been uh, decimated to one day wonders. And uh, what do you think that was? Because this is before the internet came along. It's just everybody still the the invention of uh, the VCR mm-hmm. and and uh, beta and videotapes and stuff like that. So uh, they had already like like porn does trying to make things for cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and basically that's what happened back then. It was, everything was trying to do it as cheap as they could. And then a couple of, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, owners started doing better and better and better. Like Steve, that's how I ended up with, uh, with Steve Ornstein from wicked. Uh, but there was, you know, a handful of companies that were starting to make, movies better and better and spend more on it because they they started to kind of change the game and uh, uh, show that quality could survive and you could charge more <clears throat> sorry mm-hmm. uh, charge more for a better quality product mm-hmm. and that's base luckily that was just about the time that I started deciding to direct because mm-hmm. I had I had seen uh, all these bad, bad movies and been in tons of movies and all my buddies from Canada are going, hey, send us some stuff up. And I was like so embarrassed by what was going on. <laughs> yeah. And I said, there has to be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had no film school background or anything. My background was commercial art and advertising, so I knew how to make things aesthetically pretty. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started. I started doing vignettes where they were like this – making them as cool and pretty as I could for the budget we had. And then slowly we started uh, spending more and more on it. And uh, I started getting write- my writing chops together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Is this with Wicked or did you yeah, start directing I'll, for another <clears throat> company first? My first movie I self-financed because okay. basically I said, this, nobody's going to give me a shot. I haven't done a ton of movies. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd sold my house up in Canada when I moved down here. I packed mm-hmm. up my van and drove down. Um, and, uh, I think I cleared more or less, I had a, a nest egg of about 40 grand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at that point, um, I was dating Diane Loren mm. and, uh, she was just about to start doing porn. I was just about to get back into porn cause I'd been in Canada for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, so we decided to get in together and we decided to make our own movie. And so we did all the stuff for free and I put $12,500 into the movie and as luck would have it uh, another lucky thing like I met your mom and that was lucky Mm. as luck would have it Vivid was just about to sign Diana so they said oh you got a movie in the can already and they bought it so that was my calling card was oh Vivid just bought my first movie I directed oh wow yeah that's a big deal I ended up yeah because back then back then Vivid was huge yeah and and they they had all their in-house production they didn't buy outside movies Mm -hmm. so that's how I ended up ended up at East Coast Video Show and uh, standing at a bar beside Steve Ornstein, the owner of Wicked, he had just started uh, Wicked six months before. Mm-hmm. He was waiting for people. I was waiting for people. We ended up striking a conversation. What do you do? What do you do? And that was how that was my MIN. I said, oh, I just sold my first movie to Vivid. He's like, what? So after a bunch of uh, lunches at Brent's Deli, uh, <laughs> we, he, he agreed to give me some money and uh, – the uh, the Wicked Armstrong team was born. At that time, I was doing one month Vivid, one month Wicked, and I did that for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then they both offered me contracts, and I decided to go to Wicked. Why did you decide to go to Wicked? Me and Steve just had a, a definite uh, similar outlook of what we wanted to do mm-hmm. in the movie business. Mm-hmm. Steve's also like a really nice guy. Super nice guy. And I've not heard the same about uh, the other one. I, I get along with... with 
with uh, Steve Hirsch pretty good too. Uh, but the mom and him just always clash. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we, we, that was over Ginger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, they both treated me well, uh, and now it's been uh, twenty five years wow. since uh, since a little actually a little more twenty five years since my first movie for Wicked. Wow. So and almost next year it'll be twenty five under contract. Do you have any idea how many movies you shot for them? I think. I'm creeping up on 200 total. Jesus. So I think probably 150 of those are are wicked. Okay. I had to guess. Wow. Somewhere around there. It's a lot. Yeah, the, uh, certainly the the 90% maybe more are are wicked titles. What do you think is the best? Could so, you pick one? Okay, okay, could you pick I, a couple? I mean, I I I can narrow it down to like a top 10, you okay. know what I mean? There's there's so many that that I'm really proud of over the years. Uh some for different reasons, others others for like the just the general aesthetic of them, others the story, others like how fucking hard it was to get them done and it was yeah. actually just, just the fact that they got completed at all. Yeah. Uh what was, was the most difficult movie you worked on? Euphoria. Euphoria yeah. was the toughest. We had so much shit go wrong on that movie and uh and, and they got some a lot of times it's the ones that are the bears to make are the ones like that one won like 13 avn awards or something like that um it was euphoria was definitely my toughest movie it was it was a disaster what went wrong just everything we we were at a studio and the whole lighting grid came down i remember you told me this like a huge huge like the whole room of lighting grid like like a 40 by 40 room just fucking basically every light that i had on that thing it was a big huge sex club thing yeah and um you know 10 minutes before it happened we, we'd done all the stills and we'd done all the dialogue and we decided to take a break uh, before we started the sex. Oh my and God. It was, it was probably a 20, 20 by 20 set and it was all glass uh, walls with neon everywhere. And behind the glass walls, there was sex shows and then the main stage had a sex show and then all, you know, 10, 15 extras on top of that. So there was... You know, eight or ten sex players plus fifteen. There's there's twenty five people there plus crew. It would have been like forty people there back in the day when because that was one of the biggest movies I've ever done. Uh, in that room when it all came crashing down, luckily glass and neon and shit like that got popped. But uh, we got so lucky and everybody band together. We uh, took all the lights off, uh, got rid of the the metal beams that were the 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 grid, threw it all outside and put all the lights on stands again and carried on. Like it was, we, we made it through the day. Wow. And that was just one. We had a, we had a makeup trailer and all of a sudden the guy driving the makeup trailer sees the wheel pass him on the freeway. <laughs> and one of the wheels of the makeup trailers fucking falling off and shit. Just every, everything about it was a disaster. So that lighting grid thing is really scary because no, if people, people, people if, easily could have died on that. We just, can we got you imagine so if you were in the middle of shooting an orgy, can you imagine the headlines? Like, Oh, yeah. 40 porn people die in the yeah, midst I mean, of like... Okay, not everybody would have died, but it certainly could have could yeah. have landed on a couple of heads for sure. Oh yeah. my God, that's so And scary. it was just, just lucky that we took the break. I was saying, okay, let's take 10 minutes. Everybody do whatever they want to do before sex and, and uh, wow. have a drink, do whatever you're going to do. And, uh, and just luck of the draw. 
I can't believe you actually finished the scene that day too. Yeah, we did another one. We had one where where it was uh, we had in in ceiling sprinklers, mm-hmm. and new lighted guy put a put a light a big light right underneath the, big, the sprinkler. Yeah, All of a sudden, high. yeah, we're shooting big orgy scene. It was one of the uh, wicked uh, wicked part. Uh, what are they called? Shit. Anyway, we did used to do these big orgies for Wicked, mm-hmm. Wicked, like it was a big orgy party. And all of a sudden, we're shooting 10, 12 people, and all of a sudden, we hear this, Ooh. we're all looking around, what the fuck is that? And all of a sudden, sprinklers pop. Oh, my God. All over the fucking place. And we actually squeegeed all the uh, <laughs> all the water out, and the chick was cool. And we ended up ended up doing about $3,500 damage to the floors, but yeah. we, we ended up shoot, finishing the scene. And The lights didn't pop? <laughs> no. Well, it was just one that was right underneath that, but everybody grabbed all the cameras, ran outside. Oh, my God. Yeah. It just, yeah it's, I have some good war stories. Yeah. Usually I find that, like, for me, all of the biggest disaster stories, the war stories that people want to hear, it's almost always has to do with the location, not necessarily with the performers. I mean, the performers, you can always work around it, whether they're replaced or, or whatever it is. It's But there's, yeah, you know, the cops showing up or whatever, whatever. It's That's always, always a fun one, you lo- know. Location varied, you know. I, we did one big scene. We were outside during the day, and it was a big FBI sting kind of thing. And Sydney Steele was there with her hands up in the middle of the street, and all these guys have their guns, and they're like, "Look, very, very real FBI ish." Yeah. And like six hours later, all of a sudden, it was like Vice is there with like six undercover dudes, and all their badges and their guns and shit. It's going, "What's going on?" I'm going, uh, "We're just shooting a movie." And we were permitted and all that, and. They saw the guns, so they made us stay away from the guns and check that they were all fake and stuff. But it's like, yeah, you're six hours late. <laughs> but yeah, had it been the other way around and they showed up on time, yeah, it would have been really ugly because all like I had six guys there with guns and and handguns and shotguns and all that shit in the middle of the street wearing FBI badges and stuff. Oh my god! So somebody <laughs> called the cops thinking that like I, this girl was actually yeah. I, I don't know what what the deal was, but like yeah, we I had all my guys in FBI jackets and stuff like that, and all screeching to all and the whole yeah, bulletproof vests and guns and but it was like literally six hours later they roll in. It was really funny. That would actually be really funny if they kind of tried to play the whole, like, well, we're FBI and you're just regular cops, so, like, yeah. we have jurisdiction here. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there's always fun stories. Yeah. Not so much now because you don't have the money to make fun stories. Now it's a lot more <laughs> Now it's a lot more girl two with boy three on couch four. Yeah. You know? And that's that's what a lot of porn has become. Yeah. How much of your budget shrank? Like, oh, you don't have to give me numbers, but, like, uh, percentage-wise, would you say? I'm shooting now between... half to a third and sometimes a quarter. Yeah. And you still get the big budgets too. Like yeah, comparatively. Compar- comparatively speaking. Yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve's really good with me. He's still, you know, we started to make good movies. Mm-hmm. We had the same outlook. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we'd, we'd still be doing it. And he probably, he probably tried to hold out mm-hmm. uh, as long, uh, way longer than most mm-hmm. trying to still maintain uh the quality and still putting money onto the screen yeah. uh, way longer than most companies did. Yeah. Um, and still to this day, you know, he's, like you said, he's still spending more than he probably should be. He's yeah. paying me more than he probably should be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I've, I've offered to, uh, 
to uh, relieve him of his obligation to me many, <laughs> many times. Saying, "Listen, I understand the industry has changed, and and uh, I get it if you can't pay me anymore." Yeah. Know? So, but he's he's super super guy uh, and very loyal, uh, and uh, you know really cares about the product and and the and the brand name mm-hmm. that Wicked that Wicked comes with. Yeah, I mean, Wicked's, it's still the only studio that requires mandates condoms. Condoms. And that's always been the case. And then I know that they do a lot of, like, advocacy stuff, like the AIDS Walk um, yeah. LA, and Jessica does a lot of... Yeah, I mean, Jess, Jessica and Wicked are now kind of synonymous with each other. I, I mean, I'm definitely kind of, a lot of people think I own the company, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, or definitely I'm high up. But uh, both of us are very um, brand you know, injected yeah. and, and now Axel as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that many, that many nicer guys than Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I tell him all that. Like I'm definitely the yin to his yang. Like I'm, I'm definitely the goof in that relationship. I love you, but I wouldn't say that you're, you're the nicest guy. You're yeah. nice to me, but you do, you do tell people what you think. I'm nice to people who are nice to me. <laughs> and what more can you ask for? This is true. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped. You know, if I've got a hot date that I hope goes past just dinner, one of the things that I, and pretty much all women do, is groom our bush. Whatever your pubic hair style, it should be at least manicured in some way, right? Well, what I would like to know is why don't men think that they owe us the same courtesy? That's right, guys. It's 2020 and it's time to get your man bush under control, which is why Manscaped has designed revolutionary grooming products specifically for your nether regions. And they've upped their game with the Lawnmower 3.0. This revolutionary electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology so it won't nick or snag your nuts. And that's not all. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which includes a pair of boxer briefs and their Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, products that keep balls from sweating, smelling, or sticking. Go to manscaped.com and use code HOLLY to get 20% off plus free shipping. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D dot com and use code Holly to get 20% off and free shipping. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by Uberlube. Lube is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether alone or with a partner. If you're going to lubricate, you just want to make sure it's done with the highest quality body safe ingredients and nothing beats Uberlube. Uberlube is a luxurious, high-grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body-friendly ingredients. It's just silicone with a little vitamin E. The vitamin E leaves a velvety finish that actually moisturizes the skin. It is great for all kinds of play, vaginal or anal. Uberlube is for everyone. Thousands of doctors recommend Uberlube as their go-to solution for patients experiencing dryness. Uberlube's simple ingredient list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to other lubricants. And right now, they're offering Holly Randall and Filtered listeners a special offer. 10% off and free shipping when you use my code HOLLY at uberlube.com. That's 10% off plus free shipping. Just use code HOLLY at uberlube.com. Okay, so we're back. If somebody, for some strange reason, didn't know much about Brad Armstrong, where would you? What movie should they start with? Maybe. I think I think probably the the easiest way to do that is go to like Xbiz or AVN and look up nominations. 
Mm-hmm. And like most of my movies, are- Brad, you have so many. How is anybody going to wade through all of those? If you really want quality <laughs> stuff, I mean, there's you know, uh, last year was uh, Lost Love was mm-hmm. a good movie. Uh, the year before that, uh, Inconvenient Mistress. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been in a little older ones is Coming Home. Um, I remember like the big party that you had for coming home. Coming home was a. a you guys had a dunk tank, right? I, because I dunked I, Luke I, Ford in it. I rocked the dunk tank as well in a, a, a female uh, uh, army chick's outfit. I had a little bra and panties and my boxers and Why my boots. Why do I boots. not remember that? Uh, look, I just remember look, dunking look, Luke because I was so happy about the if, fact if, that I did that. If you Google Brad Armstrong, <laughs> that picture pops up. Almost all the time. What is like one of the top first ones? Yeah, it's oh. all, it's, you, can't, you can't fix the internet. Once you've got a bad picture up there, man, you <laughs> never live it down. <laughs> yeah, Coming Home was a, a really uh, a movie that I'm really proud of. Uh, that's, that's one of the things I like doing is taking um, uh, controversial topics and trying and handle them in a, in a respectful way while still making it uh, – uh, an erotic thriller. I was going to you know ask I mean? you about that because you do tackle you do tackle some really like yeah. serious issues. In uh, uh, in aftermath, it was about nine eleven, mm-hmm. and one of the guys kind of a, a looking back at his life until the day he basically he's in his office and we see through his glasses the uh, the plane coming towards him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done coming home, which is uh, about the veterans coming home and how their life changes. Um, Falling from Grace was uh, about a young priest who struggled with uh, an ex-lover who came back into his life and his calling versus uh, the woman that he loved. So we, we we try and handle a lot of like really topical, um, tricky uh, things uh, and try and handle them as though if somebody who was really into that could still watch this movie. Mm-hmm. So also somebody could watch one of your movies without the sex scenes and it would still it would speak to them it would Yeah, I mean I in, in a perfect world that's that's I don't any any director who who really uh, prides himself in features I think that's that's the end result is if you can watch this movie minus the sex and it still be interesting mm-hmm. on the budget that you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have trouble weaving the sex scenes into the narrative? I have a pretty good Good strategy as that, and like I have like a a page. I try and get X number of pages in between sex scenes, and try and not make them go too much longer than that mm-hmm. uh, between sex, because after all, that is what we're selling, right? Um, but yeah, sometimes that's definitely the the tricky thing. I, I basically once I have my, uh, you know, your your generic movie idea, and then you start talking about okay, who are the characters, and then which one of those characters will have sex. And then from there, start weaving the story in between those those sexual encounters between your your main characters. So, would you say is that like your writing um, strategy, or do you have like a specific I, way that I, you write your? I usually have it mapped out, like who my characters are and who's going to have sex, and and then start building those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know things change definitely. There's there's some fluidity to that. Uh, what's working and what isn't working. Because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you flip flip stuff around. Where oh well, this makes sex better sense if this is uh, scene four instead of scene five, and you mm-hmm. swap things around. But I mean, for the most part, by the time I'm starting writing, I have it pretty well mapped out. What's what's happening with who and what and where? Right. 
What about your new series that you're doing yeah, with Jessica? Very exciting. Uh, for the first time. Jessica uh, Drake, by our, the way. Our, uh, explain fully yeah, who we're talking about. Jessica Drake. Um, I just started because now we are, our, our website is run by Gamma. Mm-hmm. And Gamma is... Uh, Adult time, uh, pure time. You know, they're, they're very, they're very uh, episodic uh, yeah. related. You know, they definitely like their episodes. So... Uh, that was the first thing that that the switch brought was, can you or are you interested in doing an episodic? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And the first idea I came up with, I think, was going to be really good, but it was just too many constraints on on what it was. So I came up with the new one, which is basically pouring the series, and it's all the amazing and interesting tales I've heard over thirty years in porn. Uh, most of the stories uh, take place offset. Uh, I have, I do have a couple of stories that are on set just to keep it grounded in porn. But basically, it's I'm a, a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. so it's very much uh, Boogie Nights, uh, Magnolia, uh, that kind of thing, where you have stories that uh, can be episodic. Where you, if you break that character's story off and just show that story. And that's how it's going to be shown on the website is basically four separate stories. But then on the DVD, those stories are going to be mushed together a la P.T. Uh, Anderson and uh, kind of blended together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we did was so they weren't kind of on top of each other. We have uh, the first four episodes are boy, girl. The second four are girl, girl. The third four are trans. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big... Uh, finale episode 13 that kind of ties all the stories up and uh it ends up in a big huge orgy of course yes with a cliffhanger ending the orgies dun 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 the orgies are like always the uh all your horror stories though come from orgy scenes so um that's good and bad you know what i mean <laughs> my, my biggest orgy was 17 people in 2040 uh the movie was 2040 i was gonna say so in the future, you've been shooting in the future. That's amazing. Well, it was very much um, Bicentennial Man, only f- for a porn uh, actress. Right. So um, it uh, it basically, the, tw- the the big orgy scene was basically at the AVN uh, Awards mm-hmm. and sex just broke out. So we had uh, the a big, huge, uh, old uh, 30s theater. Mm-hmm. And it had this big sweeping staircase and it, 17 people wow. fucking away on a staircase. Yeah. Do you struggle finding locations? Because a lot of times, like, <clears throat> locations like that, they don't want to rent out to porn. Locations now are the bane of my existence. It's like, what, what, did it used to be easier? Oh, way easier. Yeah. It was a, a right around the time that porn started getting really bad uh, news coverage with the Prop 60 and all that stuff. Uh, it really, like, like, Almost to the day it dropped off, where I had I had locations that I've been using for fifteen years, and they go, "Sorry, we're just not doing porn anymore. We love you, Brad, but uh, and if you ever do anything mainstream, we'd love to have you, mm-hmm. um, but we're just not taking any more porn." And then some will kind of fifty-fifty it, where you can shoot adult there, but you can't have any sex there. Like they'll have like if you have just dialogue days, right. they'll do that. And they'll let you do that. It's just because then they can, it's like a plausible deniability where they go, oh, we didn't know that was porno. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, tr- locations are definitely a huge problem. And I mean, I'm sure your viewers out there, they see a lot of the times it's the same 10, 15 houses that yeah. every porno in, in the world is made in. Um, so it's it's definitely 
one of one of the biggest problems. I find I find that uh, locations and sound men are my biggest problem. Really? Sound Good. Men. Sorry. Let me let me hear it. Good sound men. Huh? That don't drive me crazy. Interesting. I don't have to do everything four times to get it right. Really? No I- offense to any of the sound men that I'm working with right now. Don't take offense. <laughs> That's actually not really been much of an issue for me. All right. If anything, they've I actually one of the wicked movies that I was shooting, Stranger Than Fiction, we had a horrible cricket issue that all through the dialogue and my sound guy was able to filter the fucking cricket sound out. I was so I couldn't believe it. Crazy. I was so happy. I was like I was like this movie is something. ruined always something. by a cricket. You mean there there's shouldn't be a cricket in the nightclub? Dude, and you know, like downtown LA, huge cricket problems. Do you know? I that? did not know oh, that. I've had you don't understand. Like locust. I've had so many problems with crickets shooting uh, in downtown LA because they like live same in the location? walls. Location? No, different locations wow. in, in LA. You can ask actually. Andy and Carrie were working with me on a Twisties movie at this location in downtown LA, and we actually shot actually for this one particular movie we shot in two different locations, and both of them had cricket problems. And the name of the movie was called The Artist Within, but the cricket was such an issue that we ended up calling it The Cricket Within, like as a joke on set. Because I got it. it was, and now a bunch of my assistants have the cricket noise uh, on their phone. Fuck with you. And sometimes when we're shooting, just to like freak me out, they'll play it and I'll just lose my mind. Fire them all. I can't. I love You know how it is. You get a crew that like you stick with the same people. I've worked with the same people for like a decade. I don't like change. They know you. They know what you like. Like it's so hard training new people for what you want. I mean, you've probably worked with the same people, right? Very long time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, your crew's everything. So t- I like to think I'm everything, and they well, just follow, we all know that. Follow the leader. <laughs> so this new series that you're shooting, um, you said that it's based off of some stories that you've every, heard. In every porn. story in the twelve episodes is a real story that I've either heard or been involved with or know the principal characters. We have. Can you tell us any? Of the no, stories? we're keeping. Oh, I can. Uh, I, I was going to say. I thought you were asking who the people were. Oh no, no, we're no. keeping all the people uh, uh, on the down low. Uh, we we're changing uh, either the characters or some of the situations for dramatic effect, mm-hmm. like all Hollywood movies do. Um, but basically, uh, you know, it's like some that are boys. I'm making them girls, and mm-hmm. but uh, so far it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, and some are some are like one time stories, and other ones are just stories that we've heard over and over and over throughout the years, and they're very, uh, very fitting for a number of the of the cast members. So they're like literally reliving their their uh, their their own stories, and and it's been been really good because they can really identify with the characters, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been very true to life. Can you give us an example of one of the stories? Um, one of them was a high-end escort who ended up getting caught smuggling her uh, her money uh, on into the country and uh, got hit with uh, the customs and things didn't go that well. Did she solve her problem? No, that would, other that means? would that would be porno if we did that. <laughs> um, others, the, the more generic ones are, you know, uh, the girl goes back to the dad's birthday party. It's her, it's fifty fifth birthday, and they always have a strained relationship, and she doesn't want to go, and the mom kind of coaxes her into it, and inevitably the dad can't help himself and starts fucking where they're about the porno, um, and. Uh, 
that was Megan Marks, and uh, she she brought her A game, uh, and the the crew actually clapped when she'd finished her performance uh, with uh, with Dad at the, di- the dining room table. So wow, we had some really good performances. Another one, uh, Kendra Spade. Mm-hmm. She uh, turns out. The story that she was playing is literally her story. Mm. She grew up in a very religious family. She did, and, and uh, so this, that story is uh, where um, uh, some of the porn people from the past have uh, uh, found God and kind of jumped ship and started doing anti-porn PSAs and said, "How I think por- I can think of one person in particular porn, that you're talking about? Porn ruined their life, and uh, and then you know." They straddle that fence uh, back and forth, but basically, uh, you know, they've, they've said porn ruined their life and that made them do things they wouldn't normally do, and and so uh, the the beginning of that story was very much uh, Kendra's story, and she did an amazing job. She had like just chunks and chunks of dialogue as she's doing the PSA and telling her story and all that stuff, and she she did it remarkably well. Uh, and then, uh, uh, Jessica, because now, um, uh, mental health is such a big issue. Mm-hmm. She has, uh, a reoccurring role that, that, uh, is kind of a vehicle that weaves through all the episodes and she's basically telling her therapist, uh, stories about mm. what she's going through. And I play, uh, strange enough because I didn't want to, uh, Tack this role on somebody else who might not have felt comfortable with it. I play the guy with the uh, starting to that that longtime performer who's starting to experience ED mm. and starting having problems on the set with you know getting a hard on and and the uh, psychological effects that uh, that come with that and uh, with the struggle whether it's through uh, pills or injections or pumps or whatever Robot else it is. Dicks. Robot dicks, um, basically trying to figure out what he's going to do with the with his issues and figure out whether he's uh, still going to continue on in the in the industry. Yeah, I could definitely see how that would be a really tough role for a guy to play because then that gets you thinking about yeah. your erection, and then what if you can't perform in the scene after yeah. you do the dialogue? Like that's yeah. Well, I mean, I basically. There's at least two episodes where he does like he does fail, and I didn't want to put that on another performer. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's something. I, and I thought it, it, I haven't. He's only had one short scene. Yeah. So far uh, in the first uh, four episodes and uh, fails. Yeah. And uh, so I I thought that could be a powerful role as as the series goes on. Well, we all know, or maybe we don't all know. I know that uh, not only do you not usually. Exp- really experience that problem, but you step in for other people who experience that problem. Because one of my favorite things that Brad tells me about, which made me laugh because I did shoot a scene at your place where there was a guy who was struggling. And after the scene was done, you told me, you're like, I could have just jumped in and done the cum shot because apparently you've done that yourself. You've been the stunt cock for like some of your own movies, right? I always have a test. Even if I'm not going to be in the movie, I always have a test because, yes, I have stunt cocked and stunt popped <laughs> for many boys in my movies. Yes. Wasn't there one time where there was a guy who was struggling and we we don't need to name names, but 
he kept telling you that he was yeah, going to, can you two, tell the story? Mo- two more minutes is, is the war cry to never coming. <laughs> uh, basically, yeah, one, one of the gentlemen, and to, you know, to his defense, it was like 102 degrees out and, and yeah. we're fucking As a man, you understand like yeah, how I think, difficult I think that that's the is. key is, is people who direct and have never been a performer, especially male directors yeah. that don't understand the, uh, the chemistry and the mind fuck that is male performing at times when things aren't going right mm-hmm. and are start getting angry or yelling at yeah. talent and stuff Which like never that. Helped. It's like you're dooming yourself. So yeah. as a male performer, I know everything that that guy's thinking before, especially newer talent. I, I know what they're thinking before it even pops in their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, the one time was, uh, uh, guy and he's just like two more minutes two more minutes two more minutes and then of course you've got to maintain the schedule and I'm standing there behind the cameraman <laughs> with my dick out getting ready stroking my cock it's like Bobby you got one more minute dude one more minute and next it's like so I literally we had already talked to the girl and said everything cool yeah yeah, yeah. she's like of course yeah so I basically as the cameras are rolling push him out of the way <laughs> Come on, the girl's face, and, and that's a wrap for that scene. And moving on, and he's like, "We're well, fucking asshole." <laughs> I said, "I gave you twenty minutes, dude. If you're not coming in twenty minutes, you're not coming." Wow. Yeah, actually, Joanna Angel. Uh, well, Small Hands told me that Joanna Angel told him it's a twenty minute rule. If you can't get your dick hard in twenty minutes, you need to call the scene because yeah. by then you're wasting everybody's time, and it's just never going to happen. Yeah, very, very few things happen. It's like, like they say, nothing good happens after 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Nothing ever good happens after 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen e- either on the front end or the back end. Right. Yeah. How do you handle situations like that when a guy is struggling? I mean, I always, I always wonder. I mean, obviously, I'm kind and encouraging. I'm like, don't worry about it. I understand. Like, but. I always wonder too, like, should I should I make the set be completely silent, or should we like carry on as normal, kind of talk a little bit, so the guy doesn't feel like there's it's this, a, the weight of silence on him. Every dude is different, and yeah, especially when everybody's being quiet, and then all of a sudden you hear, it's about yeah, this. yeah, it's like because yeah, you're just struggling. But the bottom line is, it says, see, you have the added bonus that you could come over and you know show your titties a little bit and give them a little reach around. It's like it's awkward if I do that, so. <laughs> It, I've I, I have to admit I've never done that. Never? No. Oh, I I will almost guarantee you that there's a dude who's having a hard time and he's looking over at you thinking about fucking you. Really? 100%. Oh, I wish you'd come over here and suck my cock. Oh, Trust me. I see I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I like, like I've definitely done that with makeup like whatever the chemistry is that's not happening there. Yeah. You go outside the box. And like I've looked at makeup girls trying to get a hard on. I've looked at like fucking extra, like whatever, you know. And then again, it's just because it's all mindfuck. It has yeah. nothing to do with your usually with the relationship or how pretty the girl is, you know. Because some girls definitely get offended when you can't get a hard on for them. Mm-hmm. They're like, "What's wrong with me? What the you know?" Yeah, it's it's just it's all you know uh, subconscious shit that the guy's thinking and worrying about and all that stuff and then when things do start to go wrong then it's a whole nother game yeah uh but like a lot of times it's just one thing that i'll look at on a girl whether it's her calves or her boob or her neck or whatever eyes whatever like her most appealing part is to me you definitely uh start to 
kind of focus in on that and get your brain only focusing on that. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, if you start looking around and you see fucking dude scratching his balls and that one over there fucking, you know, eating a sandwich. And, that, you know, it's just it's just like yeah, it's a mess. It's over. You know, it's so funny along those lines, but actually the opposite. So one of our assistants, you probably remember him. You remember like Thomas Rifter? He worked for us forever. I suck I used names. to. I remember face forever. I used to date him, actually. And that's how I got the job with my mom. Anyways, so whenever we would shoot Charles Dara, Charles would always like look at him, like throughout the scene, like kind of stare at him. And so he was always really freaked out about it. He's like, what is going on? Why does Charles Dara always stare at me? Like, is he gay? Like, what is it? And we used to always like laugh about it, but I never asked Charles about it. So one day I finally asked him. Actually, you put not him on your podcast ago. and you asked him about it. I don't know if I asked him on my podcast. No. I might have. But I did ask him, I'm like, what is the deal? Like, he's, you used to always stare at this guy and he always like wondered why. And Charles was like, no, no, no. I would look at him if I was about to pop. pop. Yeah. Because Charles is like the opposite. Actually, for him, he's like overly sensitive. Me too. I like. So he had to distract himself from coming. So he'd look at, like the male yeah. assistant to, I, I'm, I'm a mouth to bring bi- his boner down. I'm a mouth biter. <laughs> I bite the side of my mouth. Uh, but I'm the same thing. Like, uh, I've used condoms in scenes for the last 15 plus years. Yeah. Now, if I was to do a scene without a condom, I'd, I'd be fighting not coming like three quarters of the way through the scene. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be definitely be, and so yeah, you definitely look around at, if, and look at lights and like you kind of spot yourself, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm at a scene and there's a bunch of people around, as opposed to the other way when you're solely focusing on the girl mm-hmm. or whatever her body part is that, that you like and trying to get yourself into that mode, same way on the other end, you're trying right. to get yourself out of it and go, oh yeah, here, here, I'm snap, snap back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't envy you guys. I mean, the the job of a male performer is, I think, underratedly difficult. I think it, once once you're in the groove, it's it's not hard at all. Uh, now now with the way the industry is, now it's solely, uh, and guys might disagree with me. It's just my take on it. It's solely amount of being able to recover and work so much. Mm. You know, because there's guys working twenty to twenty five days a month mm-hmm. nonstop all year. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a lot of wear and tear. Yeah, uh, on your dink, your semen count, test, yeah. testosterone count, uh, a mind fuck. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, a lot of times you don't even know who the girl is you're working with till the day before the day of. Yeah. So you know, not everybody's going to blend. So then it becomes, you know, there's days when it when a guy it's like it's the best job in the world and it. You, I should be paying you. Mm-hmm. And then there's other days where, yeah, you should be paying me fucking double for this, man. So <laughs> it's uh, it's a give and take. And, you know, you want to you wanna just kind of hope that you have more good days in the month than bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, we're going to take one more commercial break and we're going to come back. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by My Girlfriend. Let's face it, we live in an entirely different world these days, and it's really hard to meet new people. It can be especially hard for you if you're a guy who's a little bit shy, maybe a little bit socially awkward, to meet beautiful, sexy women in person. Well, this is where a website like My Girlfriend comes in. MyGirlfriend.com is a place where independent women who are not porn stars can start a virtual relationship with men who want to help fund their college tuition, or maybe just kind of 
kind of help pay their bills. On MyGirlFund.com, you can meet, message, share photos and videos, and cam with these women in absolute privacy. It's completely discreet. And these women, they're interested in doing adult work, but they don't want to risk personal exposure. So this is a place where they can kind of express themselves sexually and do it somewhere where they know that their content isn't going to end up all over the web with their neighbors and their family and everybody can see it. You can join MyGirlFund.com for free, and for a limited time, you can become a lifetime premium member for less than $5 when you visit MyGirlFund.com slash Holly. This means you can get discounted credits and bonus interaction features for life when you go to MyGirlFund.com slash Holly. Brad, having been a leading man for so many years in the adult industry, you've dated some of the top stars. And one of the most notable ones um, that most people associate with the adult industry, even though she's not in it anymore, is Jenna Jameson. Jenna who? (laughs) I believe you were on her E! True Hollywood story, right? Oh, that was fucking awesome. (laughs) See, I think that was like one of the first big mainstream coverages that a porn star got, right? She got popular because of Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, she right place, right time. Because she was a wicked contract girl for a while. Yeah, for years. Uh, and then uh, uh, she just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Just just the, the way the industry was kind of, it was on that uptick where everybody was starting to do better, cooler shit. Mm-hmm. Starting to get some mainstream coverage. She got on Stern. and uh, she. Blew, so you really think she, Stern was the reason oh, she got famous? Stern, Stern and... Uh, and uh, our PR team, you know, oh. what I mean? so we had Joy King back then, who was a really good uh, PR. And but Stern, Stern was the step mm-hmm. and the escalator for that matter. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, she blew up, and then you know, like all people who blow up, they start believing their own bullshit, and mm-hmm. uh, and then it's a a quick slide down the escalator. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was she like to be married to? How long were you guys married for? Uh, depends on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, we had an interesting time together mm-hmm. and, you know, um, not all people are meant to be married. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe that you're one of those people? Yeah, I think so. And there again, she definitely is. Um, but Hey, you know, um, uh, she, you know, to this day, still probably the biggest porn star that ever, ever was. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, they say there's no such thing as like one big porn star anymore. And Jenna was just with the industry. The yeah, with the industry changing the way it is, you know, uh, I'd say the closest thing now is probably Angela White for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it goes in spurts. There's a cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every five years, kind of thing. Um, there's a a new crop that comes up and both male and female and, you know, some rise to the top and others fade away. Do you think that Jenna was kind of one of the first porn actresses that sort of broke through to the mainstream? And do you think that now mainstream covers porn a lot more than it used to? So it's not so notable? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like she definitely, like I said, right place, right time. uh, And then like anything to do with porn, they go, oh, we need to talk to Jenna. Right, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, when you're mouthpiece. when you're that uh, that much of a recognizable face, you know, mm-hmm. and then probably 
before before uh, Angela it was Asa. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, Jessica's had some really good uh, mainstream crossover stuff as well. Of course, Stormy um, has had her share of mainstream uh, notoriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the thing. I'll, I'll, and, and a lot of times it was Vivid Girls. And then when, when Wicked started getting really big, a lot of it was Wicked Girls. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like I just, the people I just mentioned, it was. Asa, Jessica, Stormy, Jenna, those are all four wicked girls. I mean, like I said, Angela White is probably the latest and greatest uh, to kind of have that kind of notoriety and, and, and stuff. And uh, other than that, it would have been maybe Jenna Hayes and Belladonna. Yeah. You know, it, it, it goes in spurts where there's there's that girl who, yeah. who really uh, uh, kind of gets that notoriety and then it goes to you know it's kind of like when the when anybody has anything to ask about uh dudes for porno all of a sudden they're asking ron jeremy you know what i mean because it's just like he's the guy that everybody noticed you know before that randy spears you know um now that randy's gone uh uh I don't know who they're asking nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> they should be asking you, but you hate interviews. You know what I mean? This is, <laughs> there's only one thing you're going to do during an interview is say something fucked up. <laughs> and so no, you can say 10 things amazing. You're going to say that the one, one fucked thing. up yeah. thing. Yeah. And that's the one that everybody's going to jump on. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that Jenna's now like a hardcore conservative Republican who just loves to bash liberals online and just be really, she just seems very argumentative. Well, she's always been, she was always like a fiery, fiery is a good word. (laughs) Um, But I mean, you know, some people lose their way. That's how it happens, man. Uh, uh, A lot of times it's people with money. A lot of times it's people who are crazy. Yeah, you know what I mean. You get crazy and money. Mm-hmm. There's not much stopping you. Mm-hmm. You know, you just think you, all of a sudden you can say anything shit, stupid shit you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like you know, like when I dated her, she was living in a little one bedroom townhouse looking thing in the middle of Sherman Oaks. Food all over the floor, pizza boxes for days, shit laying everywhere, like. She couldn't have been less of a conservative. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was yeah. nothing. She probably didn't know how to spell conservative. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's, it's, it's a grown thing. I mean, I'm sure it's some of the, uh, and the men she's dated, uh, have molded her, but I think it's more just it's the funny. The, my mom says the, cra- the exact same thing. The crazy. Jenna's always like whoever she's dating. Could be. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, crazy and money. Yeah. Look, look at anybody who, who is a hardcore conservative. They're pretty much crazy and they have money. And they just <laughs> normally, like, and, and anybody who's poor and conservative, it's just because they're looking up at the guy who has everything and just wants to be that dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're hoping that them saying stupid shit is going <laughs> to somehow, it's like, no, just play the lottery, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because, you know, now you're with Jessica Drake and you guys have been together for a long time and she's so measured and, I mean, at least her outward appearance, calm. Um, she's very much into advocacy. She she's is passionate. trying to save the world every day. She is. And I think a lot of people don't 
know a lot of these things about her. I mean, does she, she, I know that she's gone and done builds in third world countries and she doesn't, she's not the kind of person who goes on Twitter and like posts pictures of herself right. doing these things. Like, so a lot of people don't know like all the charity work that she's done. And anybody who does good charity work doesn't talk about the charity work. Right. You know what I mean? Like she's done a ton of interviews and they always want to ask about this or that. And she goes, yeah, that's not what I'm here to do. Right. You know, uh, if she can bring notoriety to the project or to the, to the cause, then yeah, she's all about it, but it's definitely not for self grandizing, uh, bullshit. Like, I mean, she, she killed Kilimanjaro, climbed Kilimanjaro for fuck's sakes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and almost died doing it. Like, like she came back with, uh, some pretty water, waterborne, uh, uh, diseases that basically she couldn't eat meat anymore, and that's part of the reason that she ended up turning vegetarian. Oh wow! Um, because of the the sickness that she got on the mountain. Man, so that must have been one. You must have been one hell of a nurse during that. I have done my nurse duties here and there. Yes, you have. I I put my uh, my nice guy hat on for a couple of weeks. I can I can manage it for a couple of weeks, but, <laughs> but then it's it. then it's back to my fucking asshole self. Yeah. <laughs> And you also often design and sew a lot of her dresses yeah, for the red carpet, which a lot of people don't know. I do most of her dresses. I'd say probably about 80%. And if I'm not doing it from scratch, I'm definitely buying something and then completely revamping it. Because I'm not so much a a pattern and sewing guy. Like I can definitely use a sewing machine, but I'm not so much a dressmaker. I'm more a costume designer. Which is so cool. And it's a skill I wish that I had because... You've made some amazing stuff. And you know where that started? Where? My stripper days. Really? Basically, it was so hard for guys to find cool outfits mm-hmm. back then. Me and another buddy bought a sewing machine each, and we learned how to, like, I could make a G-string. I could make pants. <laughs> I, could make, I could make anything. But it's just, you know, nowadays it's just not worth the yeah. time to do it. But, like, that's that all started from my stripper days because I was making as much money making guys' costumes during the day than I was dancing at night. Interesting. So you're getting paid by other guys to make their costumes. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's my that's my f- my f- my uh, jump into uh, fashion design. <laughs> Multi skilled man. So we mentioned the name Randy Spears came up earlier, and we were talking about you know people who you know af- leave porn and then come forward and say, oh, I hated it. It ruined my life. I did all these things that I didn't want to do. Um, Randy, I believe, is one of those people. He became a born-again Christian, right? And then, obviously, there's the newer Mia Khalifa interview where she talks about how porn ruined her life. How do you feel about that situation? I mean, there's there's no way you can you can argue that porn hasn't ruined some like like some people's lives, right? You know what I mean? But it's the same as fucking, you know football or boxing or yeah. any, any other sport or any any other career. And those have caused like serious physical injuries and, and, to people and, that and 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 as as porn there's definitely people who have contracted yeah hiv and stuff so i mean mm-hmm. the bottom line is but you can't you can't say that porn's this big beast of a fucking life killer when you compare it to a lot of other things you know race right. car drivers there's, there's inherent risks that you take in any career that you're gonna gonna do and you know, uh, with the amount of money that that people get paid uh, in the adult industry, uh, you know, there's there's an assumed risk, and you're deciding to take that on for the money that you're making. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 
And I, I, could, I could wait around and shit and be a plumber all day, but that doesn't seem like that much fun. Plumbers make a great living, but it's not something I choose to do. Right. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where people choose to get in porn. Nobody ever, uh, I'll rephrase that, not too many people are coerced and or tricked into doing adult. Mm-hmm. I get people that, that like uh, uh, calling it 17 and a half going, hey, on my 18th birthday, I want to come in and, and fucking audition for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's hardly someone who who's being coerced into into becoming a porn star. Didn't Heather Hunter do her very first scene on her 18th birthday? I'm not sure. That, I'm pretty sure that that's, that's right. correct. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's been a number of girls who have. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, can people say that life has been ruined by, by being in the adult business? Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'd say on an average... Uh, like you, like me, like a number of other people who have been doing it for decades, you know, obviously we have no problem with it. It certainly hasn't ru- ruined our life. It's certainly afforded me a great living over the last 30 years. I'm, I'm the first millionaire in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the first college graduate. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. a lot of people in porno have done other things and, and will do other things after this is all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of nurses, a lot of uh, EMTs, a lot of you know, finance people. A lot of people who just whatever they were doing beforehand just decided it wasn't for them, and they've decided to enter the the field of adult video. It's interesting that you brought that up, and especially like the nurse and EMT thing, because when I was listening to the Mia Khalifa interview, what I noticed a lot of her complaining about was not necessarily porn specifically, like. On set, I think she even talked about how on set she was generally really well respected by the male talent, but it was the stigma that followed her afterwards. So I wonder if a lot of the damage isn't necessarily porn itself, but the way society treats you if you've done porn. Because there's those stories of, um, there's that one girl, I can't remember her name. I know that Gustavo at Expos wrote an article about it. Oh, she did a little bit of porn, she left, she went into nursing, and then. They found out that she'd done porn and she lost her job. She lost everything. There was also, I think, Dale DeBone. Dale DeBone is, is, as well. Is, Same thing happened to him. It's 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 a common thing, and uh, a lot of times, obviously, when you're in the business and making money and having fun, when that stigma um, hits you, a lot of times you're way easier uh, and way more equipped to go fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm making a great living. What are you driving? You know yeah. what I mean? You you can kind of justify it to yourself. But when you leave and you're trying to be, quote, normal uh, and trying to start a new life and it follows you, I think that's when you really notice it because you're like, fuck, man, I got out of it to start anew and you're not letting me. Mm-hmm. You want to you wanna shit talk me when I'm in the business. Yeah. Now you want to shit talk me out of it. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's a tricky thing. I, I mean, I, even me, I'm fairly successful, I think. I deal with it um, here and there, and it's usually only when I'm trying to do something more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing a little bit of script writing, and certainly I'm not using the Brad Armstrong moniker on yeah. the top of that page, and that's why script writing makes sense, because it's not my face they're seeing, it's what's on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just starting, actually, just today I got a call, and it's uh, it's a book that's been written about uh, someone, it's autobiographical, and uh, someone I know kind of gave him uh, it's a script, it's a story about his dad that he wants to tell. Fairly, 
well-known in his in his field and in his small town. Uh, they gave him a script that uh, me and Tommy Gunn actually wrote, a uh, mainstream script uh, that was supposed to be for Sylvester Stallone. And the way things worked out, it didn't happen. But um, uh, it's a story called Long Road Home, and it's very similar in the in the kind of that small town feel and the characters and stuff like that. And she gave it to the uh, uh, the guy and. Uh, the son's interested in doing the story mm-hmm. and and said he wanted to meet me after reading my script. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I can say who I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, even though, even though that stigma uh, may not be blatantly slapping him in the, in the face, I know it's right behind me. Right. You know, and that's with somebody who's in my world, you know. Fairly successful. Yeah, I can I can go into any boardroom. I'm not the most well spoken guy, but I certainly can hold my own in any conversation. Mm-hmm. And and still, if that was to come up, that would change uh, a lot of people's mind. And it, I'm I'm used to it from when I was 17, yeah. when I was when I was in college because I was dancing at night. Mm-hmm. That dancing stripping is the same kind of stigma that you get as a porn star. Yeah, it's, it's none of, kind of like sex none porn. of my professors took me seriously because they found out that I was dancing at night, and they're like, "Oh, you're not you're fucking, you're not taking this seriously. You're not looking, yeah. you're not looking for a career." Right. So, I mean, I I dealt with that since I, you know, yeah, since I was eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, I, I wonder if. That because of that situation and exactly what you just said, you know, they people shit on you when you're doing it and they tell you, you need to get out of porn and then you get out of porn and you try to do something else and society blocks you at every turn because they're like, Oh, you're a porn star, you were a porn star, we can't you can't do these things that you have to turn around and take like a one eighty approach like Randy Spears and being like, I regret it, I'm so sorry, I need to be redeemed, like please forgive me world for ever having been in porn and, and, and I, like i need a second chance and i re- if that's really how you feel then that's great but if you're just doing it to get by then you're only fooling yourself you know true but i also wonder if there's some confusion between whether or not that's how you really feel or if because again it's like the pressure of the way society sees you you know they could change if you're trying if you leave the porn world we're a very small like insular community and you leave the porn world and you try to make it out in the real world and all you get is all this shit from tons of people of course it can make you change your mind about what you did for a living and maybe see your background as something that was you know, more, I don't know, what's the word, um, more toxic and damaging than you initially felt. I mean, I don't want to speak for these people. I don't know and, what their experience was like. But it's, it's like when you're doing it for decades, you know, obviously your your experience in the industry itself changes. Right. You know, what, what was fun at the beginning, then it became work, then it became fucking treasury when you weren't making as much money. And then it was like, then oh, fuck, do I get out? Form, do I, and then it, you... You know, it's, 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 squeezed you, out. it's like any, any, any career, like they say you change careers every 10 years or yeah. whatever on an average, but yeah, I've, I've been in the business 30 years. Yeah. Obviously my career has changed and, and been a little fluid as I've gone, but it's still like, I'm still here. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, even though I may talk shit about porn and what porn is today, mm-hmm. I would never talk shit about my time in porn mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm more defending porn now when I when I'm talking shit. I'm going, you guys have fucked this bitch up. 
Yeah. This is like, this was your daughter. You fucking sent her out and had her fucking <laughs> sold her for fucking a dollar a piece and yeah. let everybody come and steal her for free. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm being more defensive about porn. And, and I, when I got into it, I, I loved porn, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're right. And, and that's, and that's part of the whole point of, of the porn series is these stories. And some of them are definitely, definitely stigma related, uh, whether it's the family or new employers or, you know, just in general life, uh, and, and the issues people face because they've, they've joined the, the wonderful world of porn. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest change that you've seen in your 30 years? Ugh, the internet killed porn. Let's face it. Let's face it. As much as it's put us out there and now everybody knows who, what, where, when, everybody's doing shit. Which isn't necessarily always it's a good thing. Horrific. Because people you know? have no anonymity anymore. Yeah, and I'm I'm doing I'm I'm making a putting out a movie on fucking Friday by Monday that's bouncing off some Ukrainian satellite fucking for free. And and how do you make money at that? Yeah. You know, when everybody can watch it for free. I'm still amazed that anybody's joining any sites. Yeah, like you sound exactly like Quasar when you say that, yeah, but it's, it's, yeah. it's beyond, if I could get, like, if if my neighbor had a fucking bunch of different fruit trees, and he said, come on over and pick them whenever you want, what the fuck am I going to the grocery store? <laughs> like, for what? Maybe better, more consistent quality at the grocery store. Maybe you really like the checker at the grocery store, and you want to support the grocery store because you don't want her to lose her job. There's a lot of people who buy porn now specifically because oh, they no. want to support the, the industry the and only, performers. The only reason that porno will survive is that one-on-one fan base that thinks they're they're having a relationship, whether it's friends or want to be lovers or whatever it is, uh, that they really appreciate that porn star for what she is and what she does, and they're get like. Any man, sooner or later, they'll be fickle and change to the girl and this girl and that girl. And, and, and then, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where porn lands, mm. you know. So you and, don't have any predictions. And the massive, the massive takeovers that are going on. Yeah, it's you know becoming I mean? like a monopoly. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's, I, I don't know, there was, that was the plan all along, obviously, I'm going to guess, but. It's, it's interesting. I, I would be interested in seeing what porn looks like in five years. But I've been saying that for fifteen. Yeah. You know, ever since internet came, like I, I, I knew that this internet was the downfall of porn, mm. uh, as as I knew it. Right. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's been the upside for many, many, many people. Right. Uh, but for me, as a feature director, porn has has definitely not been my friend. Mm. Well, Brad, I'm glad you're my friend. Do you like that little segue? Thanks for your titties. You're welcome. Like I said, they're just like trying perched, to keep your attention. They're perched right on the edge of the table like that. It's awesome. <laughs> can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? More importantly, check out all my stuff at wicked.com. Uh, that's where the more important shit is. Mm-hmm. The uh, Wicked Armstrong on tr- Twitter is me just spouting off or showing uh, dog videos and shit. Also, like promote your new. Of course, you have to promote nowadays. It's all about the promotion. Mm-hmm. I think some people spend more time uh, uh, doing little clips for their movies than they do shooting their movies. I know, right? <laughs> Promos everything. Yep. Are you even on Instagram? 
No, I I have one set up. Uh, I haven't touched it in. Yeah, it looks very not updated. Yeah, uh, I, why do you, you look for hot pictures of me on there? Yes, yes, because I couldn't possibly find them on Wicked dot com or yeah. anything like that. Uh, yeah, I haven't touched my Instagram in probably two years. Okay. I had to guess. So Wicked Armstrong on Twitter is the place to find you, and of yes. course Wicked If you have any important questions, feel free to ask Wicked Armstrong. Dot com. All right, on Twitter. <laughs> at Twitter. Com, Armstrong. Oh whatever. my God, look at you. I'm old. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. This really meant a lot to me. You are truly like one of my face. Stop staring at my tits. You are just looking at your hand placement. <laughs> sure. You're literally. You are truly one of my favorite people. In this industry, I really do adore you and Why everything you so that you've helped me with. Why so cold in here? Your nipples are like it, literally as, popping It's actually this, the entire building is like on one setting. We can't wow. control it. It's really annoying. Um, but hey, I'm trying to talk about how much I love you and you quit. You're stop sh- interrupting you're showing me. showing me with those nipples how much you love me, baby. <laughs> it's all good. Words, words oh mean nothing. <laughs> well, anyways, I'm just, I'm just going to keep saying the words. I don't care. Um, I adore you. I think you're wonderful. Actually, I didn't even tell this story, but Brad's penis was the first live penis that I ever saw on a porn set back when I was 20 years old. I had just started working for my mom, and she finally allowed me to come to set to shoot some behind the scenes. I was shooting it. I was trying to do something artsy. I was shooting on infrared film because we shot on film back then. And um, it was Brad and Aslea Antistia, is that how you pronounce her last Artesia, name? Artistia, yeah, something like that. In a red convertible Cadillac? Beige. Was it beige? I think I was wearing a red tie, a red red banded fedora. That it maybe was a 30s, 30s and 40 things. And she was, I think she may have been in red too. Yeah, or like a was red bow. Really it's nice, on Sue's Net. Really, really, uh, yes, by all means, check out Sue's Net for Sue's all Net your- Sue's Net is a lot of old you, Brad you, content. You can see how, how young and pretty I was back in the 90s. <laughs> Boom. But yeah, my first uh, time on a porn set ever, and it was it was Brad's penis that I saw. And was here your, we are. Is that your first penis ever? No, no, not at twenty. Not at twenty. Yeah, yeah. It's just I lost my virginity at sixteen, and it was oh, yes, party time since then. Well, I guess you you really haven't having a uh, a pornographer for your for a mom. You kind of had a lot of leeway there when it came to sexual exploits. Yeah, they it's not like she could give you bullshit, right? <laughs> yeah, especially considering. What a whore my mom was when she was younger, and I say that with all the Due affection respect, and love. But I found she my, was very promiscuous. I felt mine was too. She like had dated a bunch of the Toronto Maple Leaf hockey players and stuff. Good for her, Bill, one of the guys from Bill Haley and the Comets, and wow. Yeah, at her funeral, everybody started telling me these horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. Always lovely to see you. And you guys can follow me at Instagram. Or wait, no, I got to look here, Ernie, right? Fuck. Sorry. We have a new camera set up. Sorry. Confusing. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Holly Randall. Go to patreon.com slash Holly Randall and filter to support this podcast. Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash Holly Randall. And don't forget to go to my YouTube channel youtube.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered, where I am clocking 2 million views a month now. Wow. It's the only reason such that Brad a, came on. Such a marketing guru. Hey man, you gotta you gotta you gotta work it. You know how it is these days. Pay for those bras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not my bra's not doing much. It keeps poking out. 
All right, Brad. Thank you again so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening to my show. If you're a longtime listener or a new one, I've got a lot of interviews. So make sure you check out everything from the beginning of my catalog because there's some real gems back in the early days of the show. And if you enjoy this show, there's a couple of things that you can do to support it. First of all, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, rate me five stars and leave a review. It's incredibly helpful to get my show up in the charts. Secondly, you can join my Patreon for as little as $5 a month and watch the interviews stream live, which by the way, gives you access to my episodes way before anyone else. You can also get signed prints, books, merchandise, such as shirts and mugs, access to my private Snapchat, and a free membership to my website, hollyrandall.com. Plus, I offer tons of bonus content, Q&A with your favorite guests that you cannot hear on the free platforms, and of course, my exclusive bonus podcast, My LA Porn Life, that I do with my production manager, Eva. It gives you a real and hilarious insight into what it takes to run a small porn company like mine. Because trust me, my job, though stressful, awkward, and facepalm ridiculous as it is sometimes, well, it's never boring. And we definitely give you the juicy behind-the-scenes dish that you can't get anywhere else. Plus, Eva's dating life is absolutely hilarious, and she holds nothing back. So go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered and join the community. Your support helps me in my journey to change people's minds about the adult industry and hopefully the lives of the people in it. Next week on the podcast, I have a guest who is frankly quite a big get. I have been asking her for a quite a few months, kind of chasing her a little bit, to be honest, for a few months. And um, I'm just so excited that she agreed to come on. Um, she's a wonderful person, somebody I haven't seen in a long time, and she's a big name. You've probably heard of her. I'm talking about Sasha Gray. And uh, no, she's not performing anymore, but um, she was a huge name. And she's one of the few people who's had a really successful transition from an adult career to a mainstream career, something that a lot of people don't really achieve, to be honest. And so I want to talk to her about how that went for her, how she addressed the stigma that she encountered, and she encountered stigma, and basically how things are are going for her now. This is a really special episode, so please make sure you come back next week for Sasha Gray on Holly Randall Unfiltered.